The great Swiss theologian of the previous century, a man named Karl Barth, said that faithful Christians should always do theology and live life with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand. They have to go together. Here are just a few items from the newspaper this past week that raised so many questions for my theology and for, my, and for our life together, especially on this Memorial Day weekend. You know, Memorial Day weekend, as Ginger says, is when we honor and when we remember those who have sacrificed and served those who've given their lives for the freedoms that we cherish. And yet this past week, the hopeful summit with North Korea was canceled, and deep complexities obviously abound with these negotiations with rogue nations, but this feels like a setback that moves the world closer to danger. This past week, we feel the growing tensions between Iran and Israel, and it's especially fueled by the situation in Syria and Palestine. Again, these are very complicated issues, but the unrest, the growing alienation seem to keep moving toward violence and not peace. This past week, the NFL pronounced a new policy. Players must either stand for the national anthem or stay in the locker room. This raises many questions about patriotism and authoritarianism and community and social justice and many others. This past week, there's this continuing conversation about the Mueller investigation. There are fresh concerns about police and community, even in our city, and more. What do we believe? Who do we trust? When is it going to end? How do we find our way? And then, as most of you know, the very lovely Becky Tyree, who initiated the RVA Street Singers, a choir of people who come to our Monday walk-in program, a choir of homeless in Richmond, practices every week, in our chapel, the very joyful, the very grace-filled professor of music at VCU died from a trauma in a bike accident. And I know some of you have other heartaches and anxieties that you're carrying around that are growing, that are challenging you in these days. We take all of this, and it's easy, it's easy to feel that we are a long way from seeing the kingdom of God. Where is it? Now, listen to this story from John chapter 3. I'm beginning in the first verse. There's a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do all these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the, see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after growing old, having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. So life can be so full of doubts and life can be so full of um, hurts and losses, and life can be so full of complexity and questions that the kingdom of God becomes invisible. We can't see it. Nicodemus, even a VIP in the theological world of that day, it says here uh, he was a Pharisee, uh, a serious devotee of God and God's laws. It says he's a leader of the Jews. It says he's a teacher, so he's a VIP. Nicodemus had heard enough about Jesus that he wanted to meet Jesus, but he couldn't risk his whole reputation and meet him in the daytime. So Nicodemus planned this nighttime visit with Jesus. Better to be safe than sorry, he thought, in his inquiry of Jesus about seeing the kingdom of God. How can I see the kingdom of God? But Nicodemus came to Jesus because Nicodemus knew that Jesus knew about the kingdom of God. Rabbi, you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these things apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Aha. Uh -huh. So we got to tune in here because this might be helpful to us in these particular days. That was all very well, Nicodemus said, but just how are you supposed to pull off a thing like that? How especially were you supposed to pull it off if you're pushing 65 like he was? How do you get reborn when it's a challenge just to get out of the bed in the morning? That's what he's wondering. He even got a little sarcastic in this conversation. Could one enter a second time into the mother's womb? He asked Jesus in John uh, 3, 4, when, it was, uh, when it, it was all one could do to get in and out of a car when it's all he can do to get in and out of his recliner, right, without a little help, how could this be? Right there in this conversation, a big gust of wind happened to whistle down the chimney and light those dying embers that were about to go out, and they burst into flames. 
And Jesus said, being born again is like that. It wasn't something you did. The wind did it. The Spirit did it, Jesus said. It was something that happened for God's sake. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. And that's when Jesus really got going in this conversation. Maybe Nicodemus was a VIP with six honorary uh, doctorates, but Jesus said if he couldn't see something that was right in front of his nose, then maybe he needs to go back to kindergarten. Jesus said, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God's so in love with the world that he sent me down. So if you don't believe your own eyes, at least believe me, or at least believe my eyes, Maybe you'll quit sneaking around in the night and being scared half to death and you'll come to, come into, come to life. That's what Jesus said. Maybe if you just see me and hear me and believe me, you'll sense it. And what impressed Nicodemus in that moment even more than the speech that Jesus was giving, was his quickening of his heart and the quickening of his breathing. He hadn't felt like that since the first time he kissed somebody. He hadn't felt like that since his first child was born. He knew something was happening. Born from above. See? Born of the Spirit. Born of water. Born of the Spirit. Born of God. Born again. Reborn. It's a powerful and pertinent process that's meant to be at work in all of us all the time. Reborn. Reborn. It's realizing that God and love and life and God's kingdom are very close and are present and our lives are meant to reflect it always. So often, just like Nicodemus, we get so covered up with all that we're seeing, so covered up with all that we're hearing. We can't hear Jesus. We can't see Jesus. Can't even be open to the Spirit. Can't sense God anywhere near. Where is God, we ask. So often, just like Nicodemus, we're so busy asking questions so burdened by the issues that we don't see Jesus standing right in front of us. Don't see God all around us. Don't get me wrong, I like questions. I like serious questions. But if we're not careful, we miss what's right in front of us. God's presence, God's promises, God's life for us in us, all around us. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you don't need God in your life. You don't need God to come into your life. That's backwards. You need to come into God's life because God's all around you. Come into God's life. God doesn't come into your life. It works the other way. God offers us so much life you be in the life of God. That's what he's saying. This is the truth for all of us. This is where we live, in the life of God. In fact, Nicodemus, you don't 
you need to realize that your life is only in God. And then live accordingly. Live accordingly. Reborn. See, it's not literal. It's not meant to be literal. It's about the transformative power of God's presence at work in us, around us, regardless of what's happening in the world, regardless of what's happening to us. Reborn. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus and Jesus is trying to help all of us understand that the life of God is never far away. The life of God is always around us. We're, our lives are in the life of God. The life of God has come near to you. That's what he's saying. Indeed, the life of God is sitting right next to you, speaking to you now. The life of God, the passionate love of God that makes up the divine life, that's all that God is, has spilled into the world in Jesus God so loved the world that God has given God's only Son, not to condemn the world, but that the world might have life. To assure us, nothing can separate us from God's love. That's the message. So when Nicodemus, you know what? When Nicodemus, this person, when Nicodemus began to allow himself to be reborn of the wind, of the Spirit, Things change for him. Things change for Nicodemus. In the chapters that follow, we read that Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus in the night because he was scared, later is speaking up for Jesus when those publicly are questioning him and judging him. He's defending him. And then after Jesus died on the cross, when all the disciples had left, it was Joseph of Arimathea and it was Nicodemus who came and prepared the body for burial. Nicodemus was no longer intimidated, no longer afraid. Nicodemus had come to realize that his life was in God. He was reborn. And it wasn't by his own doing. It was by the love of God that was birthed in him anew, gave him life. A life of boldness, a life of faith, a life of service, a life of love. That's absolutely what's meant to happen to us. Transformation. We find ourselves living in challenging and changing times. And it's meant to happen to us. A boy named Emmanuel told Pope Francis, that his father, an unbeliever, had died recently. The boy wondered to the Pope whether his father was in heaven. The Pope replied, God's the one who says, who goes to heaven. And then the Pope added that God has the heart of a dad who will never, ever abandon his children. See, it's always about God and life in God. We find ourselves living in challenging times and so much animosity and distrust and so much heartache and alienation. And yet last week, preaching at the royal wedding, Bishop Michael Curry pretty much laid it out. If you haven't seen it, you should. It lines up with what Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus and teach us. Quoting Dr. King, this is what Dr. 
Michael Curry said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love, and when we do that, we will make this old world a new will, for love is the only way. There's power in love. Don't underestimate it. Don't over-sentimentalize it. There's power, power in love. If you don't believe me, think about a time when you first fell in love, Curry says. The whole world seemed to center around you and your beloved. Oh, there's power, power in love, not just in its romantic forms, but any form, any shape of love. There's a certain sense in which when you are loved and you know it, when someone cares for you and you know it, when you love and you know it, it actually feels right. There's something right about it. And there's a reason for it. The reason has to do with the source. We are made by a power of love and our lives are meant, they are meant to be lived in that love. That's why we are here. Do you hear the echo of what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus in John 3? Curry continues, if you don't believe me, just stop and imagine. Think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine a neighborhood, neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where love is the way. Imagine this tired old world where love is the way. Where love is the way, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive. When love is the way, then no child is going to go to bed hungry in this whole world ever again. When love is the way, we will let justice roll down like a mighty stream and righteousness like an ever-flowing brook. When love is the way, poverty will become history. When love is the way, the earth will be a sanctuary. When love is the way, we will lay down our swords and shields down by the riverside and study war no more. When love is the way, there's plenty good room, plenty of good room for all God's children because when love is the way, we actually treat each other well. We actually become family. When love is the way, we know that God is the source of all and we are brothers and sisters, children of God. My brothers and sisters, Curry says, that's not a new heaven, a new earth, a new world, a new family. That is a new heaven, a new earth, a new family, a new family. Dr. King was right. We must discover love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. Reborn. Reborn into the love of God, reborn into loving. Reclaiming Jesus is a new movement that's gaining momentum. It's led by Bishop Michael Curry and a bunch of other familiar leaders in the church saying that these are perilous times that demand us to rethink our loyalty to Jesus. And these leaders have come up with a public statement where there are six affirmations and six rejections reclaiming Jesus because every human being is made in the image of God, which leads to a rejection of nationalism, racism, tribalism that seems to be coming so pre prevalent in these days. That's the first one. We are one body of Christ, which leads to the rejection of mistreatment and the violent abuse of women and others. It matters how we treat the least of these. That's the third one, the stranger, the sick, the prisoner, the foreigner, which leads to the rejection 
of plans and policies that abandon children and abandon immigrants and abandon the most vulnerable. Truth-telling is important, which leads to the rejection of growing tendency of lying that has invaded public life. And Christ's way of leadership is servanthood, which leads to the rejection of policies and political leaders that are so rooted in selfishness and personal gain. And six, we're part of an international community that God so loved the world, we heard that today, which leads to the rejection of unpatriotic xenophobia and selfish nationalism. See, the compelling statement, Reclaiming Jesus, said that, says that we should be all concerned about the soul of the nation and the integrity of Christian faith. We're called to be more deeply connected to God and more deeply connected to one another, especially those who are different from us, and particularly the underserved, the less fortunate, and those most at greatest risk. This is what Christian faith and Christian life are about. And you know how you sum it up? Reborn. Paul, the apostle, reminds us if we live according to the spirit, we live. If we live according to the flesh, we die. We're called to live according to the spirit. Reborn. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To receive your spirit, your presence, your love. Well, that is to live toward you with love. That is to abide forever. We seek that way. We commit our lives that way following Jesus. Amen.